Ho there and well met, my inklings. Welcome back to Catawampus Readings, the podcast where beginnings and introductions are cut into their smallest parts and examined to see how they were supposed to read before we sliced them up. Today we're taking a look at one of my favorite classics of all time, The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. I do think if I'd been introduced to this book as a child, I might not have liked it as well as I do now. There are just some things in it that aren't nearly as satisfying to a child's sense of justice as they are to mine now as an adult. But one of the things I really, really like about this book and its sequel is that there are little original poems at the beginning of each section, which we will get to in just a minute. For those of you who have only ever seen the butchered Disney animation version, or even worse, the Disney live-action remake, let me clarify what this book is about. And just as a disclaimer, I do not think those are bad movies. I just think that if they are your only exposure to this particular book, you have been horribly misled. To start, this isn't just one story. The Jungle Books, and yes, there are two of them, are collections of short stories, about half of which are about the man-cub Mowgli, who has repeatedly been the center of attention in basically every film adaptation. But if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you might have seen a short animated film about a mongoose named Ricky Tiki Tavi. There's another short animated film about Kotick the White Seal, which was released about the same time. These stories are from The Jungle Book, just in case you didn't know. These stories were published serially in magazines over the course of several years, and as with other classics we've encountered during the series, I haven't been able to find any summary for this book as a whole. There are those that exclaim about how it's a timeless classic and how Kipling had philosophical underpinnings for every story and character. Which, you know, true, but also not what I'm reading the summary for, guys. On the flip side, there are other summaries which imply through bald omission that the entire book, or even both books, are about Mowgli and his wolf brothers, which is horribly misleading. And it's no wonder there are so many people on Goodreads leaving bad reviews, saying it's stupid that they were promised man-cub adventures and ended up reading about some weird Buddhist monk in the mountains. So, in light of the half-dozen summaries that aren't actually summaries at all, I'm going to give the synopsis on the back of this book a zero out of five stars for either not existing in any meaningful sense or misleading the reader about the contents of the book, which is very not cool. Say no to lying, kids. It's worse than drugs. With all of that out of the way and a slightly disappointing start, let's dig into the introduction to this iconic work and see where it takes us. The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter 1. Mowgli's Brothers. Now ran the kite brings home the night that Mang the bat sets free. The herds are shut in byre and hut, for loose till dawn are we. This is the hour of pride and power, of talon and tush and claw. Oh, hear the call, good hunting all, that keep the jungle law. Night Song in the Jungle. 
It was seven o'clock of a very warm evening in the CNE hills, when Father Wolf woke up from his day's rest, scratched himself, yawned, and spread out his paws one after the other to get rid of the sleepy feeling in their tips. Mother Wolf lay with her big gray nose dropped across her four tumbling, squealing cubs, and the moon shone into the mouth of the cave where they all lived. <sighs> said Father Wolf. It is time to hunt again. He was going to spring downhill when a little shadow with a bushy tail crossed the threshold and whined, Good luck go with you, O chief of the wolves, and good luck and strong white teeth go with the noble children, that they may never forget the hungry in this world. It was the jackal, Tabaki the dishlicker, and the wolves of India despise Tabaki because he runs about making mischief and telling tales and eating rags and pieces of leather from the village rubbish heaps. But they are afraid of him, too. Because Tabaki, more than anyone else in the jungle, is apt to go mad, and then he forgets he was ever afraid of anyone and runs through the forest, biting everything in his way. Even the tiger runs and hides when little Tabaki goes mad, for madness is the most disgraceful thing that can overtake a wild creature. We call it hydrophobia, but they call it diwani, the madness, and run. Enter then, and look, said Father Wolf stiffly, but there is no food here. For a wolf, no, said Tabaki, but for so mean a person as myself, a dry bone is a good feast. Who are we, the Gidderlog, the jackal people? to pick and choose. He scuttled to the back of the cave where he found the bone of a buck with some meat on it and sat cracking the end merrily. All thanks for the good meal, he said, licking his lips. How beautiful are the noble children, how large are their eyes, and so young, too. Indeed, indeed, I might have remembered that the children of kings are men from the beginning. No, Tabaki knew as well as anyone else that there is nothing so unlucky as to compliment children to their faces. It pleased him to see Mother and Father Wolf looking uncomfortable. Tabaki sat still, rejoicing in the mischief he had made, and then he said spitefully, Shere Khan, the big one, has shifted his hunting grounds. He will hunt among these hills for the next moon, or so he has told me. Shere Khan was a tiger who lived near the Waigunga River, twenty miles away. He has no right, Father Wolf began angrily. By the law of the jungle, he has no right to change his quarters without due warning. He will frighten every head of game within ten miles, and I, I have to kill for two these days. His mother did not call him Lungri, the lame one, for nothing, said Mother Wolf quietly. He has been lame in one foot from his birth, and that is why he has only killed cattle. Now the villagers of the Waigunga are angry with him, and he has come here to make our villagers angry. They will scour the jungle for him when he is far away, and we and our children must run when the grass is set alight. Indeed, we are very grateful to Shere Khan. Shall I tell him of your gratitude? said Tabaki. Out! snapped Father Wolf, out and hunt with thy master. Thou hast done harm enough for one night. I go, said Tabaki quietly. Ye can hear Shere Khan below in the thickets. I might have saved myself the message. 
Father Wolf listened, and below in the valley that ran down to a little river, he heard the dry, angry, snarly, sing-song whine of a tiger who has caught nothing and does not care if all the jungle knows it. The fool, said Father Wolf, to begin a night's work with that noise. Does he think that our buck are like his fat Waigunga bullocks? Hush, it is neither bullock nor buck he hunts tonight, said Mother Wolf. It is man. The wine had changed to a sort of humming purr that seemed to come from every quarter of the compass. It was the noise that bewilders woodcutters and gypsies sleeping in the open and makes them run, sometimes into the very mouth of the tiger. Man, said Father Wolf, showing all his white teeth. Fah, are there not enough beetles and frogs in the tanks that he must eat man, and on our ground, too? The law of the jungle, which never orders anything without reason, forbids every beast to eat man, except when he is killing to show his children how to kill, and then he must hunt outside the hunting grounds of his own pack or tribe. The real reason for this is that man-killing means, sooner or later, the arrival of white men on elephants with guns and hundreds of brown men with gongs and rockets and torches. Then everybody in the jungle suffers. The reason the beasts give among themselves is that man is the weakest and most defenseless of all living things, and it is unsportsmanlike to touch him. They say too, and it is true, that man-eaters become mangy and lose their teeth. I think this is my favorite kind of introduction. Instead of showing us the world through passive exposition or describing the problem like a faceless narrator at the beginning of a fairy tale, we get to see characters interact almost immediately. On top of that, I think the world is at least partially introduced before the story even begins, in the little rhyme at the beginning of the chapter. Ram the kite brings home the night that Mang the bat sets free. This is a story about the jungle, its people, and its laws. It also gives us a hint about the feel of the story. Birds don't actually carry the night anywhere, and bats can't start the night by letting it out of a cage. This is more like a folktale, or a legend, than it is a story we're supposed to think is actually real. And once we're familiar with the jungle and the characters of Mother and Father Wolf and the Jackal Tabaki, we're introduced to the primary conflict in the form of Shere Khan, the man-eating tiger. Even before we get to the part where the tiger tries to force his way into the den, which I didn't read before, we know that he is the problem. How do we know that? He doesn't show up on screen, as it were, and he doesn't interact directly with any of the characters that we see. But, we do hear the characters talk about him to one another. First, Tabaki makes mischief by saying, Oh, by the way, you have a new neighbor that I know you don't like. And then they talk about how he was named the Lame One, and only ever hunts domestic animals from the herds of men. Even though we don't know much about the world these animals come from, there's that disgust and lack of respect in the way they talk about Shere Khan that tells us he's more a pest and a troublemaker than he is a real danger to them. A danger to the men, sure, but not to grown and successful wolves. I 
love the way that's handled, and I have great respect for those that can insinuate ideas into the reader's mind like that. I'm not nearly so subtle with my own writing, and this is something I could certainly stand to learn for myself. I'm giving this introduction a very biased 5 out of 5 for interaction, distinct dialogue, and a very fun description of a sound that I have never heard in my life. If you disagree, I would love to hear about it in the comments below, or shoot me an email at inkfire.scribe at gmail.com. This is definitely a book worth talking about. That's all I have for you this week. The random question of the day is, do you have a special reading spot? In the backyard, in the attic, at the library? If you don't, would you like to have one? Until next time, stay safe out there, my inklings. I know I've said this before, and I know I will say it again. Stay hydrated, stay healthy, and remember to stretch your legs. It's very important. This has been your host, Inkfire, and you have been a fabulous audience. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you for listening to Catawampus Readings. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. If you're interested in supporting Catawampus Readings and would like early access to new episodes, you can sign up to donate monthly at patreon.com inkfire. Special thanks to our patrons Corvus, Valkyrie, and Barry Marie.